Well, this morning, I want you to begin by starting to think of when you have experienced true community. And I know that uh, today's Father's Day, as we acknowledged, and uh, we're focusing somewhat on that, but, but in this text that we're looking at today, we're focusing specifically on community. So I don't want you to think about family so much. I want you to think about community. When was a time when you experienced a community that changed you, a community that, that shaped you, a community that was filled with the love of God and the Spirit of God, and that was transformational for you in one way or another? Just think about that for a moment. What's the most ex- uh, significant experience that you, you've had? And hopefully you've had that in one way. I have a dream to borrow from Martin Luther King Jr. for a minute. I have a dream, and my dream is, is that when I ask that question, that the first place that might come to mind is Forest Grove Community Church. That we might actually be a faith community in one expression or another, whether it's in your small group, whether it's in different settings, that you have experienced true community that actually transforms you, that shapes you, that molds you, where you encounter Jesus in a way that is so unique. And I know that we, I'm sure, have a ways to go in that, but I know for myself I've experienced that over these 17 years in different ways, in different settings, in different small groups I've been a part of, even with our staff team here. I'm thankful for the community that we have here. When I even ask myself that question, another place that comes to my mind, and I've shared that story with you, in my own personal testimony story is back in 1984 at Camp Squee in BC where I encountered a staff community at that camp that was transformational. Of people who loved the Lord, who were centered on Scripture, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who loved extravagantly, who not only embraced me but challenged me in my faith. And it was a very real community that changed who I was at that time significantly. And I'm thankful for that. Today's text is about transformed community. It's in Romans chapter 12, and I encourage you to turn there again as we look at the last verses in Romans chapter 12. It's, it's what a true faith community looks like, a faith community that's powerful, a faith community that's attractive, that people look at and go, okay, there's something different here. There's something really unique about this community that I want to be a part of, and it drew people in. People were actually drawn to it in all kinds of ways. Because, you know, as human beings, it seems to me that we want to be part of that kind of community, a loving, accepting, caring community, a community where we feel like we genuinely belong, where we're respected, where we're valued as individuals, a community where we know that others have our backs and will stand with us and will help us in times of need, a community that we know we are genuinely loved, a community where people serve freely and we can serve freely and willingly for the good of everyone. When you want to be part of that kind of community... When I think back to even years ago, and I think of the TV series Cheers that many of you would be familiar with, and that Boston pub where everybody knows your name, and that went from 1983 to 1993, one of the most popular television series of all time. And part of it was is because it drew at this very core this idea of community. And it, it touched on this longing that people actually had for community, where everybody does know your name, where it's a, a safe community. I mean, that was a pretty dysfunctional community in many ways, but, but it was, there was something about it that drew people. And so I think all of us in our human nature, we long for that kind of community. The, the bad news is, is that we seldom find it. The good news is, is that 
this text that we're looking at today gives us some really practical ways to create it. There's a part that we can play to actually help shape that kind of community. God would have us live out of our own individual transformation and the faith that we have in Jesus and actually live into and be part of shaping that kind of community for ourselves and for others. We've talked often about our discipleship steps over these last couple of years and these four different components that we relate to that help us understand what discipleship is, what it means, how we can actually step into discipleship. And if you remember, the first one is create community. Coming out of our mission statement of what does it mean to be a covenant community. And so we have a proactive role to play in actually creating community. You can do that in any setting, whether it's just being together with a few people, whether it's gathering around dinner, there's just ways that you can help create community. And it's important that we do that. And our text today is going to help us look at ways that we can also do that. Because one of the challenges is, is that if we only stay at that place of community where we're cared for, where we're loved, and where we're, we're known, and where people kind of care for our needs and so on, the, the danger of that is that community becomes the end goal. And as you look at Scripture, community is never the end goal. It's a byproduct, actually. It's a byproduct of actually being on God's mission together. Because community is really formed when actually people have a common demanding task. When they're actually on a mission for something, when they actually have something that's beyond themselves, even beyond their community. And so the focus and the goal isn't just to form this community that's intimate and known and where you're cared for, but it's actually a group of people who have a bigger purpose than themselves. And when a community understands their mission, when a community understands that they have a bigger common task, that actually galvanizes community. It becomes a byproduct. That's why when we think about, and even as we talk about our mission, vision, values as a church, they're really based on the great commandment of, you know, you need to love God, but, you know, love others as well too. But it's also the great commission that is all about go into all the world and make disciples. Because we need that co-mission together, that common mission that we have as a community of believers in order to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission that God has given our community and every local church community. So that's what we want to understand as we look at this text again, that, that not only even in our discipleship steps of creating community won't just end there because The last one of our discipleship steps, the fourth one, is about serving others and proclaiming the gospel. It's about this great commission that we've been called to, to go and have uh, and be a part of the mission of God. And so in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we looked at a couple weeks ago, it was about the transformed mind, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, and by uh, about being a people who live as living sacrifices, that we would give our bodies, that we would give our lives, that we would give all of who we are and all of what we have as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And then last week we looked at verses 3 to 8 that talked about humility in community and understanding that each of us have a unique gift. Each of us have spiritual gifts that God has given us through His Holy Spirit to serve for the better good of community and that we're to understand and to take an honest assessment of ourselves, not looking too highly of ourselves and not looking too lowly at ourselves, but having humi- humility to see ourselves accurately and actually stepping into those gifts that we've been given for the sake of the body to use those gifts, to pursue those gifts, and to, to fan into flame those gifts into other people in community so that we all together become this thriving body of Christ. 
This outworking of grace. The kind of works that Paul talks about so often in Scripture. Not a works salvation, but a works that actually is a reflection of our salvation in Jesus. As he says in Philippians, work hard to show the results of your salvation, is what he says. Not to earn it, but to show the results and the implications of it. So in this section, it really gives practical directives of how to live the transformed life in community. One that's powerful, attractive, and transforms. Let's, and let's look at this text, verses 9 to 21. I want to start there in verse, just looking at verse 9 to 10. And, and what I've done today is I've, I've broken it up and uh, put the message translation right beside it so that you can look at that as well too. Um, Romans 12 is probably my favorite chapter in the message. And I, I shared that before. I just I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases this text in some of the very practical ways. And so I just have that beside it there, and you can reflect on that as well too. And I'll mainly focus on the left side, on the New Living Translation, but we'll do a, a little bit of both. So Paul starts off after he's been speaking about spiritual gifts, and he says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. The message, he says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. So really love somebody. Don't just pretend. Really love people. True Christian love is so much more than a feeling. You know that. We know that. It's a command. It's a call. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's an intention. It's a a direction that we set our face towards, that we... Take intentional steps towards it's decisions, daily decisions that we're going to love people in an extravagant way. It's not about the feeling that is so often described in our culture about what love is. In fact, as, as one commentator says, he says, it, it leads to an almost violent hatred of evil and a, and a tenacious attachment to what is good. So just like it says in this text here, hate what is wrong and have this tenacious attachment to what is good. That's what love looks like. And, and so you, it, it's more passion and intention and direction in that way. We know that to love God is also to love others. And in the New Testament, you don't often see the authors saying to love God. In the Old Testament, it's like, love God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. And in the New Testament, it often is reflected in this way. It's a call to faith and it's a call to obedience, rather. Because if you're going to love God, you're going to love other people. It will be an extravagant love of other people, which is the most powerful expression of how you're going to love God. It's being in this faith community of how will you sacrificially and humbly love other people. In 2 John 6, it says, to love God is to do what He commands and to love others. Do what He commands and to love others. If you're going to love God, you're going to do what He commands, which is loving other people. You know, we, we so often speak about being devoted to God, we We even use the term devotions. What about being devoted to one another? What does it mean to be devoted to one another in community as we love God? Paul calls us to that even earlier in verse 5 of this chapter 12. He says we are are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Devoted to one another. We belong to each other. In another place where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and we, we looked at this uh, earlier in the, in the week's proceeding, in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul is describing what love really tangibly, practically look like, looks like, he says love is patient, love is kind, 
does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, see that same language here, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's a pretty high calling. So when we use the word love, that we love somebody, I mean, just imagine, put this definition, this loaded definition in that word. and Say, do we actually really love in that kind of way? That, that, is, that is a big idea. That is a big calling. In any kind of human relationships that we have, how do we do that? To honor one another. Take delight in honoring one another. I love that. You know, today we, we want to honor dads this Father's Day. But what does it mean to honor somebody? It means to respect, to hold in high esteem, to value, regardless of who they are, how different they are from you. But to honor them. And it seems to me that in the kingdom of Jesus, that real community happens when we love and honor people, the people that we are actually with. Whoever that is, not necessarily the people that we just like. Hugh Halter, a pastor and author, he says it this way. He says, kingdom community isn't being with the people you love. It is loving the people you are with. There's a big difference. It's easy to be with the people you love. But do you actually really love the people that you are with? And no better place than in the church community. When you're part of the same community of faith, the same family as we've been talking about, the same body as we're all body parts as we we talked about last week. But do we actually love the people that we are with in that way? Then in verse 11 and 12, Paul says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. I mean, he's just got so many points in here about what community looks like. Like you could just pull off any one of these and just spend a lot of time on each one of them. It seems like he's going in all these different directions, but he's, he's just articulating, look, here's what community looks like. If you're going to live a transformed life, if you're going to live out of the renewing of your mind, if you're going to live as a living sacrifice, here's the expression of that in community. Bang, 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 bang. And just he goes in all these different directions. There's just so many things. Work hard. Live in perseverance. Have patience. Continue in prayer. Press into prayer. Live with a confident hope, regardless of your circumstances. Live with expectation that God is present that God is real, that God's Spirit can change things in a moment, in an instant. Live in that kind of way. Spur one another on to love and good deeds, as it says in Hebrews. That's a beautiful kind of community. Just to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Hey, keep going. Go for it. You've got so much to offer. Don't quit. Keep going. Press in. Keep praying. Keep persevering. Don't stop. Then there's this interesting call to hospitality. It's a great word. It's one that I think uh, in our context today, it's understood differently than it would have been in that era. In the time that this was being written in this Roman era, I mean, there there weren't a lot of hotels, there weren't a lot of restaurants, so you didn't just make this assumption that when people came into town that they would have a place to stay or that they go check out into a room and and do that. In fact, a lot of the hotels or those kind of places that they had were actually dangerous places where a lot of crime happened. And so it was very common and understood and even expected that, that you would 
practice hospitality, that when people came into town, that you would open your home, that you would offer a bed, that you would have a meal with them. And it was also understood and expected that there would be sacrifice involved. Because you've prepared a meal now for your family of four, let's say, and all of a sudden a family of five shows up, and now you've got nine of you. And you invite them over for dinner, and it's like, well, this is what we've got. We're going to share. That was a picture of hospitality. They would have understood that. That would have been the common understanding and concept of hospitality in that time. And so it's not just, this isn't just talking about having friends over for a barbecue. Remember the people that you love. But it's, it's having this sacrificial extension and generosity of people into your homes. Of people to sit at your dinner table. Of extending food to others and care to others. Even those people that we don't know, that we may not understand, that are really different than us. To show the love of Christ. I really think that hospitality is one of those unique things that has so much power and potential to expand the kingdom of God. I think as, as a church community, if we can better understand each one of us, and in our world where we often get so isolated, and yes, we go to restaurants together, and that's good, but do we have people in our homes as much? And if we can understand the power and the value of hospitality in a new way, of actually sitting and eating meals together with other people. You really get to know people as you sit in their homes and as you have meals together. And as we talk about our faith in Christ and, and have deeper conversations than just the surface things and actually ask people how they're really doing and, and connect with them on a deeper level, I think it has incredible power and potential for the Spirit of God to work and the kingdom of God to break in in a whole new way. If we in our North American concept and mindset can just sort of break through some of those barriers and understand hospitality in a new way. But hospitality takes commitment. It takes sacrifice, doesn't it? It's easier for me to invite people over to our house if I'm thinking, oh, well, Lisa's going to do all the work anyways. So yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, Lisa, there's a bunch of people coming over. Um, That doesn't always go well. So what am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to give up in order to prepare, to host, to do, and so on? So for each one of us to think through, okay, what is the sacrifice we're willing to make in order to extend and be this kind of community? Hospitality is radical and countercultural. If we were to approach this in a gospel-centered way, I think it would be transformational for the church. I think it would transform community. And some of you do this so incredibly well. You bless people continuously. You're always open and generous with meals, your homes, and it's So encouraging. This is what transformed community looks like. Then we have this section again on humility. Verse 14 and following. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Going back to that hospitality piece. And don't think that you know it all. I love in the message of Peterson says, make friends with nobodies and don't be the great somebody. It's a good word. It speaks of humility. Meet people where they're at. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice together. Weep together. In other words, live fully present in the moment. Live fully present in the moment. Engage in their lives. I remember one um, author 
and a business leader, he made the comment once about what a charismatic person is. And he gave a definition of that. Sometimes people say, oh, that person's a really charismatic person. He says, you know what a charismatic person is? A charismatic person is somebody who actually doesn't talk about themselves. A charismatic person is somebody who just draws out and asks another person all about them and keeps asking questions, digging deeper. In other words, fully present in the moment. Weeping and grieving and having empathy for those who weep. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. Hey, tell me about that. What's going on in your family? And keeping pressing in, digging in, asking more questions. And you know what happens? That person goes away and goes, boy, is that, is that guy ever charismatic? Not because of what they said or something profound or great words, because they ask good questions, actually. Which is what Paul is talking about here and what transformed community looks like is, is actually caring for the needs of others and not putting our own agendas and our own needs and our own interests first, but actually in humility looking to others and thinking they're better than yourself and actually drawing out of them what's going on in their lives. Say, hey, tell me how God's working in your life right now. How can I pray for you? You're going through a hard time right now. Let's, let's just pray about that together. Or sometimes not saying anything and just being physically present and weeping with them. That's community. That's a community that changes things. Then it goes on in verse 17, and, and Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do such things in a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. The message, he says, don't hit back, but discover beauty in everyone. Even those who come at you with evil. Isn't that a challenge? That's a different kind of community. We so seldom respond in that way when people come at us harshly, when people come at us with even evil intent. Then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Or in the message he says, you know, your generosity will surprise them with goodness. It's this call to love your enemies. And I know some of you are thinking in your honest moments, you're going, love your enemies. I'm not even sure I like my friends yet. But it's this call to love your enemies even. And it's true, sometimes it is hard to even love our friends. But what about those who actually intend for evil? What about those who come at us harshly? What about those who we really struggle with because they feel like the enemy? How do we love them? Michael Bird, one, of the, one commentator, he says it this way, Refusing to retaliate is how we worship with our bodies, and it is by refusing to adopt the revenge culture of our world that we show forth the renewal of our minds. That is a countercultural approach. The evil. This is a message of peacemaking. What does it mean to be peacemakers in this world? You know what? It starts in our own home. And sometimes, even as Brad said at the beginning of the service, for some people it's hard on Father's Day because they didn't have fathers who were peacemakers. And for those of us who are fathers now, even if that has been our experience and our background, some of the hardship and the challenges for you, that you can start a new era, that you can write a new story, that that doesn't have to define you, but that you start with being peacemakers right in your own home. With humility and forgiveness and reconciliation. And you chart a new path and you begin a new legacy. You leave a different kind of shadow. 
that has implications for future generations in all kinds of ways. You know, at the heart of this theology of peacemaking is the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross. I mean, here's Jesus taking on the most violent kind of death for the sake of peace. Taking on the most violent kind of death of being hung up on a cross and having his nails and his feet pinned to this cross and dying the most grueling death because of being a peacemaker and reconciling a sinful people to a heavenly father. Taking away our sins, removing those sins, removing the shame, taking that shame upon himself in order that we would have peace and reconciliation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peacemaker actively intervenes in conflict and violence to establish peace. You know, last week at the end of the service, we prayed for and we, we blessed Marianne and Marley as they went uh, to Columbia, where they are right now, working with a team down there and preparing called Building Leaders for Peace. Uh, rather new initiative in the last year or two through MB Mission that is going into some of the most uh, war-torn and troublesome areas of the world to actually talk about peace and actually do some really tangible, powerful, incredible transformational things as people of all religions and all backgrounds gather together and say what does it mean to actually walk in peace and to be able to introduce the prince of peace into that context of say this is what jesus calls us to i think we live in a world today in a new era in an era of terrorism where we have even as mennonite brethren people a new opportunity to bring this peacemaking call to the world You know, some have commented that when we think about what frames the gospel, that using the word love is actually an increasingly difficult word to use. Because as I reflected earlier, the word love has lost so much of its meaning in our culture today because of the way that it's used. I mean, we can fall into love, we can fall out of love. It's used so flippantly. I mean, so many songs are all written about love. I mean, love just becomes everything and anything, and therefore it becomes almost nothing. And so what some people are saying is, actually, as we go around the world proclaiming the gospel, a better word is the gospel of peace, and that Jesus is the prince of peace, and we can use this articulation of peace and this framework of peace because people get that. People long for peace. They live in violence all the time, and they're, they're looking for peace in their homes and in their countries and in their families. So we're called to peacemaking and this ministry of reconciliation, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To reconcile people to God and people to each other, this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of peace, which is what Paul is speaking about as we live as transformed people in real communities that it will change again the way we live and it will start right within our own circles. Are we peacemakers? Are we reconcilers? Are we intentional? Do we step into that rather than avoid it? Do we walk towards it in order to bring peace. It's a choice, a mindset, a commitment, a way of living. It's a response of the will. To renounce violence in our own personal lives and to seek reconciliation in countercultural ways. In a world that continually seeks and glorifies revenge. You think about it, most movies have a component of revenge in it. Makes for a good movie. Doesn't make for good community. Because revenge builds revenge. And it feeds on itself. And how do you break that off? I remember, and some of you know this story better from a number of years ago in our partnership in Panama, when in uh, 
2012, the village leader, Aquilio, was murdered in the uh, interactions with the Spanish people who were illegally on their land and with the deforestation that was happening. And so some of our brothers and sisters in Panama, our MB churches down there, are facing this in a very tangible way. And I remember sitting uh, in that room, talking with these young leaders, the men in the room, there's about 30 men in this room, and it was a dark night, one little light bulb in the corner. It was out in uh, uh, this remote village in Panama, and they were now talking about, what do we do? What do we do? And they were all kind of saying gentle things and talked for about a half an hour, and finally one person said, you know what? And through a translator, they were speaking to me and to Aner and to John Gertz, who was with me, they said, you know what? The only sentiment actually in the village is revenge. We just want revenge. So we started talking about that. And Aner led them through, again, this gospel of peace and that we're called to be peacemakers. And it comes with sacrifice. It means giving up our rights, giving up sometimes our rights for justice. And so I remember saying to them, I said, you know, the church in North America, we talk about being peacemakers in more of a theoretical way, but we actually don't face it in the ways that you folks are facing it right now. And so we're actually looking to you to lead us in this. You need to teach us how to be peacemakers in the midst of violence. And so this is a group of people who are wrestling with this gospel message of what it means to be a transformed community and to live in a different way and this new commitment of, no, we're going to go a different path. It won't be about revenge. And how do we actually live out of the gospel that we proclaim? Powerful moments, wrestling with the real issues that people face in this. But as, as we live out consistently, this Christian community can be, become a genuine counterculture that serves as a witness to the world, a world that is increasingly caught up in the spiral of violence. So again, it begins in our community. And it becomes a witness to the world. If a church community can get that, a faith community can get that, and live out of this transformation, people notice. You know, there's so much, again, in this text in Romans 12, this 9 to to, uh, 21, and I encourage you to immerse yourself in that, even this week. And I was thinking, it's like all these random things. It's sort of like, uh, and my question was, if you could tweet one of these words, or one of these, not words, one of these sentences, which one would you choose? Okay, hashtag true community. Uh, Might be a better context or maybe some better subject matter than a certain tweeting president uses from time to time. But what would you tweet? Which one would you choose? Even this week, as you look back at this text, I encourage you, which one stands out for you? Which one is sort of one that the Spirit of God is encouraging in you, challenging you, saying, okay, This is what I need to live out of. This is the way that I can step into and help create community, true community, even here at Forest Grove Community Church. Because you see, the presence of Jesus and his kingdom enters in as we practice these postures, as we practice how we relate to each other in different ways. And as I said, this is attractive. If a church community can really get this, one of our core values is relevance. And again, what that means is is that we have a relevant faith that affects every aspect of our life. It affects the decisions that we make. It affects how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what our priorities are. It's a relevant faith that, that actually pertains to the matters at hand in our own life, in every area of our life. And if we have a relevant faith in the context of a community of people as we love each other in the ways that are described in this text in Romans chapter 12, it's relevant not only to us, as a community, but it's relevant to the world. It becomes a witness to the world that people actually look at and go, okay, there's something different going on there. 
There's something attractive going on there. There's something that draws people in as they take note and they notice that there's something unique and and transformational about this community who actually knows how to love one another, forgive one another, reconcile with one another in a very real way in the day-to-day moments. Not just with the people that we like, but the people that are very different than us. And when we get to understand and to live out of that kind of community, it changes things. It's a huge part of this mission that we've been given to proclaim the gospel and to make the disciples, make disciples of all nations. To just live as a transformed community on God's mission together. It will be attractive beyond measure. Relevant and desired by anyone who tastes it. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I invite you to stand as I just conclude in prayer. And I just want to lead us in a prayer of commitment and even commissioning toward this kind of community. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you for texts like this. It says in your word that Scripture is alive and powerful. And here again we see an example of that, that Scripture is so alive and powerful. And Lord, I pray that we would be this kind of transformed community. I pray that we would, go into, that we would grow into this calling. That you would help us to be a community on a mission that truly loves one another, embraces one another, serves one another, but, but doesn't do so just for the sake of ourselves and that we feel good. But Lord, that we would be a, a community that is truly on your mission to the world together. That we would be a community that is passionate about peace and the call to peacemaking that we've been given. And that we would begin in our own homes, in the very relationships and context that we are currently in, Lord. In our marriage relationships, in our friend relationships, in our co-worker relationships, in whatever settings that you have placed us in, whatever small groups you have placed us in, Lord, may we be peacemakers in those settings. Would you help us to live out the truths of this text? God, would we really love one another? Help us to love out of the center of our being. And God, I pray that as we learn and lean into this being this kind of community, that we could be a light on a hill, that we could be a witness to the world, and that people would see you. God, we pray this for your honor and glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.